Good morning, listeners across the Delta and beyond. This is Stacey Reardon, Facility Director at the YK Fitness Center, and I want to welcome you to Wellness Wednesday. February is Heart Health Month, and I'm joined today by Ann Kosachev and David Chikuchin to chat a bit about what we can all do to keep our heart healthy. Ann, could you tell the listeners a bit about yourself? Thank you, Stacey. I'd love to. I'm a physical therapist working up at the hospital. I've also worked with kids from the age of about three months till elders. I think the oldest person I've ever worked with is 99. So I have a lot of experience with people of all ages and how the body responds to injury and heals itself, sometimes by magic and sometimes by science. David, introduce yourself to the listeners for us. Hi, my name's uh, David Chikuchin. I grew up here in the YK Delta, and my family's from Tuxic Bay. I work uh, at the fitness center. So as we chat today, I want to remind listeners that while we're professionals in our fields, we are not medical doctors or certified nutritionists. The information we're sharing comes from our review of materials available from organizations such as the Centers on Disease Control, the National Institutes of Health, the American Heart Association, the Alaska State Department of Health and Social Services, and other health organizations. Please remember to always follow your doctor's recommendations and guidance. So why Heart Health Month? According to the World Health Organization, cardiovascular diseases are now the most common cause of death worldwide. In Alaska, this accounts for about a third of all deaths. Cardiovascular diseases include a broad range of chronic health issues that have serious impact on quality of life and lead to heart attacks, stroke, and long-term medical conditions. The good news is many of these health issues, and by extension deaths, are preventable through healthy lifestyle choices. So today, Anne, David, and I will talk a little bit about how the heart works and what we can all do to have healthier hearts and avoid cardiovascular diseases. David, can you talk to us a little bit about how the heart works? Yeah, how the heart works. Well, the human heart works like a pump, sending blood around your body. It powers you and keeps you alive. It also does more physical work than any other muscle in the body. Located in the middle of your chest, slightly to the left, it's about the size of your fist and is protected by your sternum. Hearts usually weigh about 0.7 pounds, but in people who do endurance sports, they can weigh up to 1.1 pounds. Every day, your heart beats around 100,000 times. This pumps about 2,000 gallons of blood per day. In an average 70-year lifetime, your heart beats 2.5 billion times. Your heart is divided into two sections. The right side receives the deoxygenated blood that has just been pumped around the body. Then it pumps the blood to your lungs to resupply on fresh oxygen. The left side of the heart pumps the reoxygenated blood around your body again. This blood delivers oxygen and nutrients to all parts of your body to help your organs and muscles work properly. Your blood also carries away unwanted carbon dioxide and waste products. The heart has four chambers and four valves. The valves act as one-way gates to control the direction of flow. It is a muscle, but unlike skeletal muscle, it is under involuntary control. An electric stimulus is generated in a special part of the heart called the sinus node. This electric pulse travels down the conduction pathways and causes the heart to contract. Normally at rest, the heart contracts 60 to 100 times a minute. 
In general, your heart slows down as you age. Thanks, David. This is Anne again. I'm just going to expand on your um, review of the heart system and talk about backup systems because the heart is automatic. All those things that David talked about just happen. You don't have to think about it. It's automatic. And it's all day, every day. So your heart doesn't really rest. And that's why it's important to keep it healthy so that it doesn't get too tired. The automatic uh, part of the system starts at the SA node, the sinoatrial node. It's the first boss of the heart. It's called an intrinsic pacemaker. Intrinsic means wholly contained within. So there's nothing stimulating the SA node. It just starts by itself. It's in the upper part of the heart in the right atria, and it generates an electric signal causing the atria to contract at a set rate. Like David said, it's 60 to 100 beats per minute in general. Anything higher than 100 or lower than 60 is cause for concern for different reasons. And having a resting heart rate in the lower end of the range is generally better as it indicates a fairly healthy heart. Resting heart rate is what your heart is at rest. Not right after you sat down, but after you've sat down from an activity and rested for a while. If you want to get a true resting heart rate, if you check your heart rate first thing in the morning before you get up, so long as you just haven't had a terrifying dream, that is your true resting heart rate. The Harvard University reports a resting heart rate for average healthy adults ranges between 55 and 85. So once the electricity runs from the SA node through the atria, causing the atria to contract and push more blood into the ventricles, it goes through the AV node, the atrioventricular node, and that's the second boss. If the SA node stops working for any reason, or if the electric stimulus is interrupted or blocked anywhere in the atria, the AV node will take over. And the intrinsic rate of the AV node is 40 to 60 beats per minute. And if you remember, anything less than 60 is cause for concern because maybe you won't be getting enough blood to your brain or maybe your um, extremities aren't getting enough blood to really move and um, get you moving through your day. The third and last resort to get your heart pumping blood is the ventricle muscle itself. The ventricles are a lot stronger and bigger than the atria because they have to push blood through your whole body or through your whole lungs. It's a lot It's a lot of work. And if the cells don't get an impulse, a foci or focus will develop in the ventricle cells and independently, independently cause a stimulus for the ventricles to contract. It's kind of cool because it's a great backup system. If your ventricles are irritated for some reason, like your heart muscle is sick or there's lots of inflammation in your body, um, this independence can be a, an issue. Uh, but the intrinsic pace of a ventricular cell is 20 to 40 beats per minute, which is very slow. And generally, if your ventricles are the thing making your heartbeat, you are not conscious. That slow uh, pace does not allow m blood to get up to your brain and keep you, a lot, keep you awake. Um, sometimes if your heart muscle is irritated, like I mentioned, this random 20 to 40 beats per minute can happen and you get what's called a, quote, funny beat, unquote. It's also called a preventricular contraction or PVC. 
And sometimes if that happens in a row, you'll feel like your heart is fluttering or beating funny. And that uh, often will just fix itself. But sometimes if it happens a lot, sometimes if it happens several times in a row, this can cause some life-threatening issues. So generally, you need a regular heart rate in the 60 to 100 beats per minute range to live an active, involved life. And keeping your heart happy and your SA note healthy is very important. So our cardiovascular system is vast and complicated, running through our entire body and impacting everything that our body does. There are many opportunities for problems to occur, and we want to talk about a couple of those issues now. Um, David, could you talk to us a little bit about cholesterol? Yeah, cholesterol. What is it and why should we care? Blood cholesterol is something essential for your good health. Your body needs it to perform important jobs. It uses it making hormones, digesting fatty foods. It helps build new tissue and assists in repairing damage to existing tissues. It also helps aid in the production of vitamin D, which is something we need around here. When you look closely at it, it's a waxy substance that travels through your bloodstream in molecules that we call lipoproteins. The good and the bad. The liver creates all the good and healthy cholesterol that you need. However, there are certain foods that we consume that contain actual cholesterol in themselves. These are mostly animal foods like meat, seafood, chicken, eggs, and dairy. And then there are the foods that trigger our own livers into producing more cholesterol than you actually need. When you get this unwanted cholesterol in your blood, it becomes bad, and it's what they call high cholesterol. Having high cholesterol can lead to a number of health issues. High cholesterol puts us at a higher risk for heart attacks, strokes, and sudden cardiac arrest. Since it's a waxy substance, when the levels are high in your bloodstream, it begins to build up and stick to the inside walls of your arteries, This is called plaque, and it's bad. It restricts the blood flow to your heart, brain, kidneys, arms, and legs. Decreased blood circulation causes a number of symptoms. It can cause chest pains, numbness, pain while walking, or weakness in your arms or legs. However, high cholesterol can sometimes go unnoticed. Humans aged 40 to 59 are reportedly more at risk for high cholesterol, And men in general have a higher risk over women because they usually consume a higher average intake of high cholesterol foods. Another way you can get high cholesterol is if it's passed on genetically. About 1 in 200 people have what's called familia hypercholesterolemia. That's a hereditary condition that causes cholesterol to build up on different parts of your body. It can cause bumps on your skin, around your knees, knuckles, and elbows. It can cause swollen or painful Achilles tendons or even yellowish areas around your eyes. If someone in your family has experienced any type of these symptoms or had heart issues in the past, it's important for you and them to be getting blood checks. Blood checks. A blood check will calculate four types of fat that are found in your blood. The first will be the total sum of your blood's cholesterol content. Second will be the low-density lipoproteins, or LDL for short. This is considered the bad cholesterol, the stuff that causes the buildup of fatty deposits in your arteries. And if these fatty buildups of plaque rupture, they can cause heart attacks and strokes. 
The third number is the HDL, or high-density lipoproteins. This is considered the good cholesterol because it helps scoop up and carry away the bad LDL. And the fourth and last number is the triglycerides. Triglycerides are the most common type of fat found in the blood. And they are made when your body converts extra calories your body doesn't need into fat cells. High levels of triglycerides can come from a number of factors like being overweight, eating too many sweets, drinking too much alcohol, having diabetes with high blood sugar, and smoking. So blood checks are good, and they are the only way to tell if you have high cholesterol. It is better to be safe than sorry because high cholesterol can really wreak havoc in your health. Thank you, David. I want to talk a little bit about blood pressure, often referred to as the silent killer among um, health risks. Your blood pressure is how hard your heart has to work to move blood through your body. In order to know how hard your heart is working, you have to check your blood pressure. How many of you check your blood pressure, pressure on a regular basis? When was the last time you actually had your blood pressure checked? Last week, Stacy. Did you? Good for you. David? Last week. Alex? We are overachievers. You are overachievers. Alex, when was the last time you had your blood pressure checked? Well over a year ago. Now, in his defense, Alex is younger than the rest of us. But getting your blood pressure checked regularly is the only way to know what your blood pressure actually is. And having high blood pressure or blood pressure issues in general is often considered the silent killer because there are few to no symptoms of poor blood pressure. But... If you do have high blood pressure, it can cause many problems throughout your body. Um, There's two numbers when you get your blood pressure checked, your systolic and your diastolic. The top number, the systolic, is how much pressure is being placed on your arteries when your heart beats, so when it contracts. So when when your heart is pushing blood through your arteries, it's how much pressure that's creating on your arteries. The bottom number, the diastolic number, is measures the pressure on the arteries when the heart is resting in between beats. So we know our heart contracts, and then it rests to fill up with more blood, and it contracts again to push that blood around. So that pressure throughout your system is how your blood moves. And the amount of pressure that it puts on your arteries can impact whether your normal blood pressure is anything is a systolic of 120 and a diastolic lower than 80. So lower numbers are good. Elevated blood pressure can lead to heart attack, stroke, and aneurysms. And truly, the only way to know if your blood pressure is elevated is to get it checked. There are lots of monitors, blood pressure cuffs, and things that you can purchase or get from your health professionals to see what your blood pressure is and to take steps to lower your blood pressure if necessary. As we age, your blood pressure naturally goes up. So it's important, particularly as you reach 40 and beyond, that you know your blood pressure numbers and that you take steps to make sure that you are managing it. There are some hidden symptoms that may be attributed to blood pressure issues. And um, one of those is swelling in the extremities. So if you're having... If you have very high blood pressure, sometimes it's hard for your body to get blood and fluids moving out of your extremities. So those fluids will build up in your feet and or your hands, and you'll feel bloated and thick. Um, Ladies, as we get a little bit older, it's not just 
are hormones that are changing. It may be your blood pressure. So I highly recommend going and getting that checked. You may also experience reduced hair growth on your extremities. Um, And this is related to that swelling because it is blocking our ability to produce that hair. So while, yay, you know, you may not have to shave your legs as often, it's not necessarily a good thing. You want to make sure to get your blood pressure checked and make sure that that's not an underlying problem. Other than those symptoms, there's not a whole lot that we know uh, indicates blood pressure issues. Often you'll find out that you have blood pressure issues after something else major has occurred, like a heart attack or a stroke. So don't wait. Get that blood pressure checked. And we'll talk in a little bit about steps to reduce your blood pressure, as well as other heart health conditions. So Anne's going to talk to us a little bit about inflammation. Thanks, Stacy. I never thought I'd say this, but I'm really excited to talk about infl- inflammation. There's been some research, uh, I want to say recently, but some of it's from 2008, and that's not what I consider really recent. But uh, also it takes an uh, average of about 11 years for information to come from research down into the worker bee level and get put into practice. When I was in uh at the fire station as a volunteer EMT, I went to this great uh, EMS symposium and got direct from the researchers this information, this state-of-the-art information that's going to be put in practice from research that they had developed 11 years prior. So there's, it takes a while for the research to come down. So while it's not cutting-edge information, it's really interesting information about inflammation in general. So inflammation is a really important part of healing and growth. It's how your body regrows injured muscles. It's how you heal after you get a cut. It's how your bone heals after you break a bone. Inflammation is a step in the healing process. But if your body gets stuck in the inflammation phase or if you're creating too much inflammation through stresses or your diet or um, other trauma that's happening to you over and over again, Um, too much inflammation can cause changes in your internal structures, can cause changes in the chemical balance in your body, and can become a chronic condition, which really limits how much your body can heal. I'm going to say personal stress, like the stressors from emotions and your reaction to stressful situations, ongoing personal stress causes your body to produce a high level of cortisol, which is the so-called, quote, stress hormone, unquote. And it's been linked to a lot of different um, medical issues that aren't necessarily what we're going to talk about today. But cortisol is one way that they measure how much inflammation is in your body. They can do uh, tests on your blood and check the levels. So inflammation in your blood vessels uh, causes roughness on the inside of the blood vessels. And Stacy talked a little bit about plaques, and David talked a little bit about plaques. And this roughness uh, creates a place for those plaques to start. It Normally, your blood vessels are really smooth, and your platelets and your all the cholesterol in your body just kind of flows through smoothly. But if they get irritated and rough, then... Um, cells can start to get stuck and then platelets start to get stuck and then pretty soon you have this plaque that's causing all these issues that we talked about. So we want to avoid too much inflammation in your bloodstream. And here's why. According to the Johns 
Johns Hopkins website in 2008, there was a study called Jupiter, like the planet. Uh, and they found that for older adults who did not have elevated blood cholesterol, we know why that's important. David talked about that. So these people did not have elevated blood cholesterol, but did have elevated blood levels of inflammation inflammation, they treated them with statin drugs because statins not only reduce uh, cholesterol, they also reduce inflammation, interestingly. These older adults reduced the number of heart attacks and strokes, but because the statin drugs decreased both cholesterol and inflammation, they didn't know exactly why this happened. Well, in a more recent clinical trial called CANTOS, C-A-N-T-O-S, and I do not know what that stands for, they studied an injectable type of anti-inflammatory drug, and the people that were involved had, one, had a prior heart attack and also had elevated inflammation markers despite being treated with the statins. So the statins didn't work to decrease their inflammation. This group of people treated with the anti-inflammatory drugs only decreased their likelihood of having another heart attack or stroke by 15% and also decreased the need for any major interventions like a heart bypass or um, a stent placement by 30%. So those two numbers are less than 50, but also fairly significant when you're talking about a life-threatening issue. So the CANTOS study proved that targeting inflammation without changing cholesterol levels can have a significant impact. There are studies now ongoing looking at other anti-inflammatory medications taken in pill form. They're different than the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories you can get over the counter, um, but stay tuned for more information about that maybe in 11 years or so. So cholesterol, blood pressure, and inflammation are three opportunities for problems to occur within our cardiovascular system. Um, there are others, but we're going to move on and talk a little bit about things you can do to improve your heart health and reduce your risk of developing heart diseases. If you smoke, the number one thing you can do to improve your heart health is to stop smoking. David, can you talk to us a little bit about smoking and its impact on the heart? Yes, yeah, Stacy. The positive impacts of quitting smoking today uh, happen almost instantaneous. Within 20 minutes of your last cigarette, your blood pressure and heart rate recover from the cigarette-induced spike. Three months after quitting, your blood circulation and lung function begin to improve. One year after quitting lowers your risk of heart disease by half of that of a smoker. Five to ten years after quitting, your risk of throat and mouth and larynx cancer is cut in half, and your stroke risk decreases. Ten years after quitting, your risk of lung cancer is half that of a person still smoking, and at 15 years after quitting, your risk of coronary heart disease is close to that of a non-smoker. Quitting smoking improves your HDL cholesterol level, which we talked about earlier. That helps scoop away the bad cholesterol. And you should also consider the damaging effects tobacco has on how you look, which is premature wrinkling of your skin, gum disease, and tooth loss. Quitting is not only for yourself, it's for your family and loved ones too. You know, as a former smoker, I quit for my daughter. According to a National Library of Medicine, according to the National Library of Medicine, 
Children of current or former smokers face an elevated risk of smoking, and this also pertains to older siblings smoking. So it really benefits you and your whole family to quit smoking. If you're trying to quit smoking, there are many resources available to you. YKHC has um, services available. You can call 907-543-6312. And the Alaska Quit Line is available at one 800 784-8669 or you can text READY to 34191 to get enrolled with Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line. Eating healthy is an essential way you can also keep your heart healthy. What you eat is fuel that your body uses to function. And we all know that if you use the wrong fuel, things don't function the way that they're supposed to. Anne's going to talk a little bit with us about sugar. Everybody loves sugar. It's really hard to manage uh, your sugar levels because food with sugar in it tastes really good. But also, um, balance is really important. Too much sugar can cause metabolic issues that will affect every organ in your body, your eyes, your fingers, your toes, your nerves. So it's really important to control the sugar. Uh, The sugar is important because it's the fuel that your body runs on. Just about everything that you put in your mouth is broken down into some kind of sugar. Alcohol becomes sugar in your body pretty darn quickly. Uh, really um, processed grains and highly processed carbohydrates like bread and cookies, that becomes sugar in your body really quickly. Things that aren't as processed, whole grains, fruits and vegetables that include both sugars and fiber uh, are broken down slower in your digestive system. So you get all the nutrients and the sugar that you need, but not all at once in a great big clump. So glucose is what your body uses mostly to um, to run. It's broken down from carbohydrates and sugars in your diet. The insulin that your pancreas makes helps the body's cells take up glucose from the blood, and then that process obviously is going to lower your blood sugar levels. When the insulin's not working well, like if you have diabetes, type 2 diabetes, um, you, the insulin isn't working well and the blood sugar stays in your blood and doesn't go into your cells. So when you get a high blood glucose level, it's important to talk to your doctor about why because there's several different ways that can happen. And sometimes you need to take medicine for that. But also, if you manage how much sugar you're eating, uh, you can decrease the levels of blood sugar. So eat smart, move more, manage your weight, And don't smoke, because smoking, like David said, has an effect on your whole body and can also, is is also associated with a higher uh, blood glucose level. David, can you talk a little bit about some of the ways that we can eat to improve our cholesterol levels? Yeah, what can we do today if we have high cholesterol? Well, it starts with making small changes. We can make small changes to our diets. We can reduce animal fats by eating less beef, chicken, pork, lamb. We can replace full-fat dairy products 
with low-fat or reduced-fat dairy products. You can eliminate unhealthy foods, staying away from foods like butter, cheese, hot dogs, meat sticks, canned chili, stuff like that. Those are all high in trans fat, and cutting back on those will definitely benefit your health and cholesterol levels. Increasing your fiber intake, vegetables, nuts, oats, beans, avocado, berries are all high in fiber, which keeps your body from absorbing cholesterol. You can also switch from sugary drinks to water. Thanks, David. I want to talk a little bit about new research and cholesterol levels. Uh, Again, uh, bringing up the whole idea that it takes 10 or 11 years for research to get put into practice. This uh, research that cholesterol knowledge is based on currently uh, was actually done in 1968, which is... We won't talk about how long ago that was because it was right around the time I was born. (laughs) Thanks, David. Uh, That's all good information about um, high cholesterol. I really like the summary. I want to talk a little bit about the idea of high cholesterol and why we all in the medical field think it's so important. So back in 1968, they, those people, did some research on dietary cholesterol and heart disease. And the hypothesis was that dietary cholesterol, the kind that you eat, not the kind that your liver produces, because that's a separate um, measurement, but your dietary cholesterol increases the risk for heart disease. And the research at the time supported this idea, and that message has been repeated ever since. However, in 2018, according to some research found on the PubMed site, research have discovered that while cardiovascular disease is, or was, the leading cause of death in the United States, there was not a clear association between increased dietary cholesterol and serum cholesterol, which is the overall cholesterol level in your blood, any uh, cardiovascular disease, any reason for death, and angina and heart attack. So that was a little bit confusing because all of those things, the serum cholesterol, cardiovascular disease, death rate of any cause, and angina heart attack, historically, for the last 50 years, had been thought to be caused by uh, increased dietary cholesterol. So, why is that? Since 1968, research methods have drastically improved, and more recent studies have shown that it is the saturated fatty acids that are also found in foods with high levels of cholesterol that are the main culprit for the development of cardiovascular disease. Back in the day, in 1968, there wasn't really a way to separate those two things out. And now there is. Conveniently, there are two high cholesterol-level foods, eggs and shrimp, that do not have high levels of fatty acids. So convenient little eggs are often used in studies of dietary cholesterol, since it's easy to measure how many eggs do you eat, and also easier to isolate the effects of the cholesterol without the effects of the fatty acids on the body. If you were testing this a different way, like saying, how many steaks do you eat a week? Steaks have high cholesterol, but also they have a high level of fatty acids. So it's really hard to determine what is increasing the cholesterol level in your blood. So there were two studies in particular that looked at larger groups of people, tens of thousands of people, over a long period of time. One of them ran 1980 to 1994, and the other one ran 1986 to 1994. 
and over 30,000 people were studied. Both these studies showed no, no correlation of increased dietary cholesterol intake, which they considered seven eggs per week, and the incidence of cardiovascular disease or risk of stroke. And 30,000 or more people over 14 years is a pretty significant amount of time and can be extrapolated or used for uh, research purposes more than a study of you know 12 people over a week or two days, 10 days. There was another study in 2018 of 28,000 people in China who showed, which showed no, cor no correlation with an even higher level of dietary cholesterol, which was greater than seven eggs per week. The interesting part of this, one of the many interesting parts of this, when they looked at diabetes in those same large, long group studies, the findings were mixed. In China, seven eggs per week decreased the risk of metabolic syndrome, which is a precursor to diabetes. But in the U.S., seven eggs per week were shown to increase the risk of type 2 diabetes in both men and women. The take-home message from this section is that while cholesterol levels in your blood are an important number to know, it is the saturated fat in your diet that is the one main culprit for higher serum cholesterol levels. Saturated fats are found in um, fatty meats, in butter, in cheese, in a lot of the foods that we really love, and in a lot of processed foods. So if you can decrease the processed foods in your life, which they're processed and they have a lot of unnatural things that make them taste good, mostly saturated fats, sugar, and salt. But if you can decrease the processed foods, the fatty meats, and sadly, the butter in your life, your cholesterol levels will be happier. Next, I want to talk a little bit about hydration. When you're dehydrated, your blood becomes thicker and your blood vessels narrow, making it harder for your heart to move blood through your body and increasing the likelihood of building up plaques that become a blood clot. Basically, when you're dehydrated, your blood becomes sludge that easily gets stuck in your veins and arteries, especially if you have a spot that is already narrowed. When you're trying to hydrate, you want to focus on drinking things that are water or almost mostly water. Uh, you want to avoid things that have a lot of sugar, which unfortunately many of our sports drinks and juices that we often turn to uh, when we're thirsty have high levels of sugar, um, sometimes salts and other minerals in them. So we want to stick with water or milk as our best options for staying hydrated. Now, I know a lot of people struggle to drink enough water because water is boring, but there's lots of ways that you can improve the taste and the flavor of your water to help you to consume more. The best way is to cut up some fruit and stick that in your water. I like to do that a lot. Um, I've also found that um, there are several companies that now make dehydrated um, packets of like lime and orange and there's nothing in them. There's no preservatives, there's no sugars, there's no nothing. Um, so it's a great additive to improve the flavor of the water and help you to increase your water. Um, it's really important to stay hydrated because like I said, um, sludgy blood is hard to move and we want to make sure that we are uh, able to get that circulation um, processing so that we get all the nutrients to all the parts of our bodies that need it. So stay hydrated.
So as we mentioned, making healthy food choices um, at the store can be a little bit overwhelming. Uh, Companies spend millions of dollars on marketing their products in ways that will get you to buy them. Um, While it's not legal for them to lie about their products, they often use gimmicks that, although true, can mislead you into thinking that something is healthier than it is. Your best rule of thumb is that the closer to its natural state something is, the better it is for you. Um, So your fruits, your vegetables... Things that haven't been processed are your best option when you're trying to make healthy food choices. Um, And for anything that's processed, read the ingredient list. If the list is primarily made up of things that you can't pronounce and have no idea what they are, that's probably not the healthiest food choice. If the list includes whole grains, foods that you know what they are, um, those are your better choices. It's great to occasionally splurge on something sweet and salty and that tastes good and has all the stuff in it, but we don't want that to be the basis of our diet. Moderation is key, and making sure that we are making healthy food choices can impact our cholesterol, our blood pressure, and our inflammation throughout our body. It's also very important to stay active. Being active is an essential step in maintaining a healthy heart. Your heart is a pump, and like any pump, it needs regular maintenance to run as efficiently as possible. As David mentioned earlier, uh, endurance athletes' hearts are bigger because it's a muscle, and they've built that muscle up through exercise. Being active is preventative maintenance for your heart. And what do we mean by being active? Uh, Anne, can you talk to us a little bit about aerobic exercise? You know I love to talk about exercise. Aerobic exercise uh, is an exercise, any activity. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it fun activity if you don't like the word exercise or if you're traumatized from high school gym class. Uh, basically, you if you can walk and have a conversation, um, but it's difficult to sing a song while you're walking... That means your heart is pumping a little bit harder and your lungs are working a little bit more. And that is sort of one of the ways you could easily measure, quote, moderate, unquote, aerobic activity. If you really want to do the math, uh, 220 minus your age is your maximum heart rate. And that's as high as you want your heart to go safely. So if you're 20, I'm just going to do easy math. If you're 20... Uh, your max heart rate is 200, and if you're 40, your max heart rate is 180. So you just don't want your heart rate to go over that for very long uh, when you're exercising, and you want to stay between 60 and 80% of your maximum heart rate. And I cannot do that math in my head. I don't have a calculator, so you're on your own. So aerobic exercise is moderate activity Uh, And every adult should get at least 150 minutes a week of moderate activity, which sounds like a lot. But if you're walking with your friends and you walk for 40 minutes a day, um, there you go. You got it. When you're walking with friends, time goes by a lot faster than when you're doing something by yourself. But aerobic exercise is really important because it actually uh, creates natural anti-inflammatories in your body. Just 20 to 30 minutes of aerobic activities like walking or dancing or jumping up and down when you're standing at a microphone, which Stacy's doing right now, will produce natural anti-inflammatories. And you know from our previous discussion why uh, it's important to have anti-inflammatories in your body. 
they, they, those ubiquitous theys, did some uh, lots of studies before December 2014 that were reviewed by the National Library of Medicine, and they showed two things, that walking is uh, efficient in reducing inflammation uh, when you do it intensely and for a longer period of time. Also, that people accustomed to regular walking have lower inflammatory markers in their bloodstream. They stopped short of saying walking will decrease inflammation based on the specific interaction they're looking at. But personally, I feel like walking will decrease inflammation based on these 32 studies that were reviewed. That's my personal opinion, not KYUK's or anyone else's. So as much as I want everyone to come to the fitness center, uh, you don't have to go to the gym to be active. As Anne mentioned, walking is a great option. Um, I like to exercise while I clean. I don't like cleaning, so I exercise by tossing on some good music. And um, yesterday I was doing squats while I was folding my laundry. And I, I dance when I'm doing my dishes or vacuuming. Anything that gets that heart rate up uh, is activity and exercise. You can also take small steps by parking farther away from the door and walking longer or deciding to take the stairs. Those uh, small steps towards a healthy lifestyle add up. Absolutely. How many of you get out of breath walking up the stairs at the post office? That's a sure sign that it's time to up your regular daily activities. I want to throw a personal story in here. When I started working at the hospital, uh, the PT department's on the second floor and the inpatient units on the on the third floor, and we were really busy, and I would be exhausted at the end of the day because I had to go up and down. That's a really long flight of stairs, way longer than the post office. Uh, eight times a day, I had to go up and down those stairs. And let me tell you, after two months of that, I got in pretty good shape. Yep, so if you've got stairs in your building, that's a great way to boost your activity a couple of times throughout the day. Grab the stairs instead of taking that elevator. Another way that you can help to kind of figure out where your activity levels are is the use of heart rate monitors and smart devices. Um, I have a smartwatch that reminds me throughout the day if I've been sitting too long or if I haven't yet reached my activity goal. And it really helps me to be mindful about getting up and moving around. I know a lot of us have very sedentary jobs. And then, of course, we go home at the end of the day and sit and watch TV or sit and work on our computers or sit. And um, sitting is almost as bad for you as smoking. And uh, it's important to get up and move around and improve that activity. So people ask what app or device is the best. There are a plethora of apps and devices on the market. And the best one out there is the one that you will actually use. It's worth taking a little time and looking into um, some of the available options and seeing what might be a good fit for your technology level. Um, there's some that are very basic and others that are a bit more complicated. Um, but find the one that's going to work for your technological lifestyle and um, what changes you need to make. But take those opportunities and get active. Uh, exercise is medicine, but like any other medicine, it's important to have the right kind for your body. Uh, be sure to see your healthcare provider and learn your numbers and figure out what changes you need to make, be they to your exercise levels, 
to your nutrition intake, whether you need to stop smoking. Um, and Anne's going to talk a little bit with us about stress. Thanks, Stacy. We all know what stress is. It keeps us up at night. It gets our blood pressure up, makes our heart beat faster. All the things we talked about avoiding to have a healthy heart. So focusing on right now is an important way to decrease whatever stress you're under. And sometimes you can't just stop and take three breaths, but I bet you can right now because you're listening to the radio. So I want everyone to just sit quietly wherever you are. You can close your eyes if you want. You don't have to. Please don't close your eyes if you're driving. Thank you, Stacy, for that important comment. <laughs> so uh, just sit quietly and take three deep breaths. I'm going to take my three deep breaths, but my, which might take longer or a shorter period of time than yours. So just quietly take three breaths on your own. And you might have noticed that your shoulders got lower and your brain kind of calmed down and maybe you got more focused. You just decreased your stress level. Good job. So focusing on your breath, being mindful of your breath is a really easy way that anyone can slightly decrease their stress levels at any point in your day. It's not going to counteract every bit of stress, but it's a really good practice to stop your brain from winding itself up into its stress response. So along with a good diet, good sleep, regular exercise, mindful activities like focusing on your breath, really focusing on whatever you're doing right now, being here in the moment, all good ways to decrease your stress. And you, your stress relief might come from something that is vastly different than, say, my stress relief. I personally need a lot of alone time, but a lot of my friends get kind of stressed from being alone, so it's not really the same experience for them. So you might need to de-stress differently than your friends and family, and that's okay. The key is finding out what really works for you and do that more often. And as Anne mentioned, a part of that is sleep. Uh, sleep is very essential for your heart health. When you're sleeping, your body actually heals and repairs cells, tissues, and blood vessels. So if you're not getting enough sleep, particularly if it's because you're stressed, you're putting a lot of pressure on your heart, negative pressure on your heart. Um, it also helps to getting good sleep, also helps to strengthen your immune system, It'll improve your mood and your energy levels, which makes it easier to exercise, reduce your stress, and it improves your brain function. If you're not sleeping, who feels sluggish or like you can't focus on anything or wh what? Okay, not sleeping is bad for your brain as well as for your heart. And it increases your risk for all kinds of chronic diseases, not just cardiovascular diseases. So it's super important that you're getting healthy sleep. And of course, the big ways to do that are exercising, watching what you eat, having a regular bedtime, um, getting your devices out of your bedroom or at least out of your hand. Um, it's really important to not be on your device until you pass out 
because that just keeps you up longer, right? And then your brain isn't ready for sleeping. It's just off, okay? So set an alarm, dim your lights, get that scrolling habit down, and turn off your notifications. Stacy, sleep is also where your body heals itself. So if you're dealing with a lot of inflammation in your body from an injury or just from your, the heavy-duty work that you do, if you're not getting enough sleep, your body's not able to fix all the issues that were created in your regular day. So sleep is uh, of utmost importance for just general body health. Absolutely. And in the grand scheme of things, we've talked about a lot today, but balance is key with everything. Um, too much of anything or too little of the important things are what lead to problems. So it's important for you to find the balance that is uh, that is right for you and for your body. And part of that includes checking in with your doctor. Um, again, as I mentioned in the beginning, while we are professionals, we are not medical doctors. We're not nutritionists. We're just following the research. Um, but it's never too late to start making changes for a healthier heart. There's lots of resources out there with information and tips to help you improve your heart health. Um, And I just want to add that hugs are a great way to relieve stress, too. Uh, there have been plenty of studies, and they all show positive uh, impacts, yeah, on hugging and your heart health. So if you're stressed, why don't you give yourself a hug or give your family member a hug when you see them stressed? I'm sure it will spread the love. Spread the love. Give a hug. Everybody hug yourself right now. Wrap those arms around, take a deep breath in, reduce that stress. Not if you're driving. Not if you're driving. So we do recommend starting your, with a visit to your medical professional for blood testing to see where you are now and to help develop a smart plan for moving forward. As always, you want to make small, gradual changes to your lifestyle. Um, trying to make large, quick changes usually does not work. And particularly when we're talking about lifestyle changes for your heart, it's important to know your numbers. Where's your cholesterol? Where's your blood pressure? And where do you need to go from here? But it's never too late to start making changes for a healthier heart. There are lots of resources out there with information and tips to help improve your heart. We have a webpage at ykfitness.org with tips and links to additional resources. The Alaska Department of Health, American Heart Association, and the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Association all have resources available, and your local health care provider can help get you pointed in the direction that is right for you. One of the fun ones is the American Heart Association Life's Essential 8, and it's a American Heart Association um, website activity, you can make an activity, uh, sorry, make an account, um, and it will tell you, tell you your heart score. And I will tell you when I was doing research for this talk, I went through and I, and I, you know, you sign up, you have to give them your email and make a password and all that and answer a bunch of questions. And you need to know your cholesterol levels and your blood pressure to get a really good reading. Um, but my, uh, score was like 80.3 out of a hundred, which <laughs> I thought it was better than that. So for the last week, I've been tracking how many servings of vegetables and fruit I'm eating and how many minutes of activities. And in a week, I increased it to 83.8, so I'm a solid B. <laughs> 
and but it's a really fun way that you can track your own um, progress. You don't, and you get your base numbers, um, your blood pressure and your cholesterol level, and then you can track your own improvement. It's really kind of fun. That's excellent. And if you want to see examples of the Life's Essential Eight, we have those posted here at the fitness center on our wall, going in, going towards the locker rooms. We'll also try to put those links up on the YK Fitness Center website at ykfitness.org. In addition, uh, Alaska has a free program for individuals who are trying to quit smoking, trying to get more active, uh, who want some help with uh, just trying to be healthier, and that's their Fresh Start program. So that program is free to all Alaskans, and I recommend it as a great place to get started with uh, your health journey. It's free. One thing I want to mention is that this research is done, like I mentioned, in China and also in the lower 48, and the genealogy of the participants was not specified, but generally they are not Native American uh, participants. And it would be interesting to delve deeper into the population that was actually studied, Um, but generally in research there are studies on Native Americans and their diet and their lifestyle and all that. And then there are other studies that are generalized into the entire population. And the two don't always agree, um, and they also might be uh, skewed a bit because neither study includes the other group of people. So the population out here on the Delta is primarily Yupik Eskimo, and we all know that we're all individual people and our dietary needs, like my dietary needs are very different than Stacy's, are very different than David's uh, because of our history. And your immune system, our immune systems are also very different because we grew up in very different places. So our bodies are very different. And basically, we need protein and cholesterol and sugar to live. Uh, and how you get that is to some degree dependent upon how your body systems work together. So... If you're from the Delta and you grew up on moose and salmon and fish and berries and seal oil and seal and frozen whitefish and tundra berries and greens, then that's what your body needs. And if you're like me and you grew up with bacon and eggs on Sunday and French toast and uh, a more um, typical Western diet, um, maybe that's why we have more heart disease. Entirely possible. It's really important to be true to what your body needs and not necessarily what your brain thinks tastes good. If you can if you can train your brain to not need so much sugar and not need so much processed tasting and not need that food science and really appreciate how good thunderberries taste and how good that mousse is on your salad, then you're body is healthier and you're still happy with what you're eating but it was a process getting to the point where we eat so much processed food and sugar so it's a process getting back to more natural foods thank you all for listening to today's wellness wednesday we hope that you all have a great heart health month i want to thank david and ann for being here and sharing their knowledge with everybody uh, David, do you want to share any final message with the listeners? Yeah, thanks, Stacy, for having me. I definitely learned a lot this week uh, researching, and I've learned a lot during this show. So 
Thank you for having me. Just uh, thanks, Stacy, for including me in this whole process. I, I love health in general, and I love helping people get healthier. And honestly, if you are listening to this message and you live on the Delta and you want more uh, assistance one-on-one, -on -one, call the therapy services department at the hospital and ask for an appointment with me. I'm only there half time, but I'm happy to talk about health in any way with you. And thank you so much for listening, everybody. Fantastic. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful day. We look forward to seeing you out and being active around town on the Tundra and here at the Fitness Center. Have a great day.